0: Chapter 4 Who Am I? Today you are you, that is truer than true. There is no one alive that is you than you. Dr. Seuss, happy birthday to you. Being true to oneself. Rabbi Shlomo one of the great sages of the last century, made a remarkable statement. I, with all my abilities, potentials, and talents, both physical and spiritual, am unique in the universe. Amongst all those alive today, there is no other me. In past generations too, there was no other me. And until the end of time, there will be no other me. This uniqueness is not an accident. The random outcome of genetic variation. Noah Wolbert continues, And if so, the master of the universe must certainly have sent me here on a special mission that could be fulfilled by no one else but me with all my uniqueness. To be true to myself, I cannot be the way I am because of what someone else does, nor can I determine my self-worth by comparing myself to others. The great Hasidic master Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotz stated, If I am I, Because I am I, and you are you, because you are you, then I am I and you are you. But if I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, then I am not I and you are not you. The point is that I must actualize my own God given potential and not to try and become someone else. Only then can I live authentically and with the appropriate human dignity. There will only ever be one Abraham and one Moses. This is because there's only one of each of us. Hence, I'm not meant to become Abraham or Moses. I'm meant to become me. Resisting social messages. If all of my distinct aspects enable me to do what no one else can, I have to embrace my uniqueness. I have to own it. I have to dig deep to know what motivates me. Am I just trying to fit in because of my intense need to be accepted? Or worse, do I follow the crowd because I am worried of being being laughed at for my differences? The vision of ourselves lies not in the society beyond, but within the deepest recesses of our souls. Our deep desire to be accepted by others takes on many guises and can even pose as a way of being unique. Take the infiltration of genes into the former Soviet Union. Symbolizing the freedom of the Western world, jeans became a hot black market item in communist countries as they represented the rebellious. Yet in the name of that rebellion, everyone became the same. They all wanted to wear jeans. Many Soviet youths made their wardrobe choices thinking that they were being individuals, going against the grain of society. But in truth, they were just following the crowd. I am my reality plus my potential. If we are to be true to ourselves, we need to get to know ourselves. And once we have met ourselves, we need to like what we see. But that is just the beginning. We need to also believe in our almost endless capacity to become more than we can imagine. We must develop what the Kabbalists call Mohin the Gadlut, greatness of thinking, as expanded an expanded consciousness. God made the human upright, said the Kotskarebi, unlike the animal who walks on all fours. While the beast sees the earth, man can also look up toward the heavens, i.e. toward a greater vision of himself. In fact, believing in ourselves is part of believing in God. I must believe in God, that God wants me with my individual makeup, and He delights in me when I am true to myself, thus fulfilling His will. He is the God of faith. Every person's creation was preceded with God's faith. God trusts us, and we must hence believe in ourselves. In the Mordea Ani prayer, the first words a Jew says upon waking are, I thank you, O living and eternal King, for you have returned my soul within me with compassion. Abundant is your faithfulness. As each day dawns, God expresses his faith in us that we will do good and are therefore worthy of getting our souls back. We are expected to similarly renew our faith in ourselves. Each one of us must believe that we are the person that God was waiting for. Our profound independence. Judaism believes that everyone has a double role to play in the world. We have to fulfill our individual potential, our personal tikkun or reparation. And in addition, each of us has a unique contribution to make to the general tikkun That will bring the world to completion. This means that we are all interdependent in a profound way. I need you to fulfill your potential as much as you need me to fulfill mine. My responsibility to help you is is an extension of my personal God-given mission. Mission imperative. On Rosh Hashanah, God looks at man's doings and the charge placed in his hands. What does this mean? We are held accountable, both for our deeds in general, as well as how we carried out our charge, our unique mission. Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush was a lesson for eternity on just this issue. God requested of Moses to approach Pharaoh and demand that Jews be freed from Egypt. Moses' retort was, Who am I? Moses' first concern was not his skill set, charisma or status, or whether he had enough experience negotiating slave releases. Moses was saying, who am I to be worthy of such a mission? Fulfilling our mission is first and foremost a function of our own moral and spiritual worth. We need to merit success. But success itself should not be at the forefront of our calculation. We are to do what we can and then turn to God and say, this is as far as I can go, the rest is up to you. We are not ultimately in charge of the results, only the effort. But Moses had another concern. The Jewish people, the very ones I'm trying to help, will not believe me and they will not heed my voice. I may believe in myself, but why should anyone else believe in me? God's response was astonishing. As one of three signs, God instructed Moses to put his hand in his bosom and it emerged with a kind of skin disease disease called tzaraat. God told Moses to repeat the action and his hand was cured. Saraita is the punishment for speaking negatively about someone. God was showing Moses that he was being misled by his internal snake. God had turned Moses' staff into a snake. An external message of his internal state which caused him not to trust his people. As people echo our trust, the reason the Jews might not believe him it's because he, not, he did not believe in them. God later instructed Moses to write this incident in the Torah as an internal lesson to us to believe in people. Hidden in this message was, an, was another, that Moses' personal growth would only be achieved when he engaged the Jewish people, when he turned his me into a we. God answered him, Who makes a mouthful man? Or who makes one d- dumb or deaf? Or seeing or blind. Isn't not I God? So now go. I shall be with your mouth and teach you what you should say. In fact, many great leaders were not charismatic. Believe in your cause, be courageous and humble, and people will follow. Moses tried one more argument. He suggested a better candidate. Maybe I could do it, but my brother Aaron is more equipped than I am. This solicits the wrath of God. One cannot play God pretending to know the potential and mission of every person. The Torah, known for its conciseness, describes Moses' argument with such detail as a mirror of our own self-doubt. We don't, of course, have burning bushes to make things clear, but neither did Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was a businessman until the age of 40, then became a Torah student until he was 80, and only then was called Rabbi. Rabbi Akiva hated rabbis when he was young, and only started studying also at 40. Both became leaders of Torah in their generation. We cannot, as Jews once did, go to a prophet to find out our mission in life, but often enough it is clear what we are responsible for, be it ourselves, family or society. How often do we shy away from responsibility because we doubt our worthiness, don't think others will believe in us, feel that our resume is not up to snuff, Or pinpoint someone better for the job. But the story of Moses shows us that none of us can escape our mission. If we can make a difference, we should feel the privilege of obligation. We never have to go it alone. God assured Moses not only that he believed in him, but that I will be with you. God stated, I will be as I will be. This means I will be with you in future situations, just as I am with you in this one. You need not play God. I will be there. Audrey Hepburn once stated, Nothing is impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. That statement only makes sense when you know that you have God on your team. On our own, we are all too often too vulnerable and overwhelmed or have too much baggage or are pursuing the wrong things to begin with. He is, as we say in the first blessing of the silent prayer, our helper, redeemer, and shield. God will empower us when we are on the right track, our helper, save us when we are on the wrong one, our redeemer, and protect us from getting into situations that we are not capable of dealing with to begin with, our shield.